Turn to the person next to you and tell them they're lucky to be standing by you. Tell them that. Uh-huh. Go ahead and have a seat. Man, the ark is so encouraging. Can I have an amen on that? I love what that brother just said. Weird thing is, I don't even know who he is. And, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. <laughs> no. If I had hair like that, we could reach Arkansas, though, I know. He and his wife, if you ever get a chance to go and visit an incredible church in the San Francisco area, they're reaching that community. And how do you know not every community is easy to reach? But they are doing it. Would you give it up for the Napstays? Come on. I love it. I was just thinking a lot about when those lights were flashing all over the room. Uh, I was thinking, I was thinking about, I was thinking about you. The reason why we started the ark. And, and in fact, when we started the ark, it was it was sort of haphazardly put together. Uh, we didn't think that this was gonna be where it is now. Uh, it started with Chris and I. We started on the same day, which is a blast to start on the same day as Highlands. No one even knows who we are. No one even cares. And uh, everything they do is better than us. They have, they have a million people and uh, 20,000 on their launch team. It's just, this is no fun to be here. I hate this church. Always have. I've just never admitted it. Okay, thank you for coming. God bless you. <laughs> the only thing we beat them in, it takes them 21 days to pray and fast uh, at the group. <laughs> oh my gosh. At the beginning of the year, we knock it out in a week. <laughs> oh my Lord. Very, very thankful, Michelle and I, uh, we were married 31 years last week. It was our anniversary. Would, Michelle, would you stand, stand up, baby? Yeah. Gosh, I love that lady right there. The best thing about being a BZ is you don't have to marry one. And uh, so. I remember when we started the church and some people were saying, you know, go do it. And, uh, but Greg Surratt, he showed up and he said, here's some, here's some help. Here's some, here's some finances. He gave me a number on how much he was going to give us for, the, for that particular year. And there was no ark. It was just a bunch of guys giving each other ideas, men and women, and, uh, and then we, we, we started passing out resources. And, uh, and I'll never forget that the day that he pulled me to the side and he said, this is what the Lord has laid on our heart to give to your church. I went in the bathroom and, and cried. It was like, this is crazy. And then we started our church. And the way he did it, he said, we're going to give you X amount of money every month for a year guaranteed. And uh, we started our church. We forgot to take up the offering the first two weekends. <laughs> and at the end of the month, we totaled up how much uh, we had taken in, $17,623. And I was shocked by that because we, we forgot to take offerings. 
And, uh, but, but I called Greg on the phone. This is when the arc started for me. I called him on the phone. I said, hey, we don't need those finances. We took in more than that. And he said, do you know anyone else we can give it to? And, and I just want to tell you, the arc hasn't changed one bit from that. We're still looking around trying to find out who we can help. It's a family vibe here. We're like cousins who do not look alike. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, cuz, what's up? All right. There's going to come a day. There's going to come a day where heaven is going to divide everybody into two categories. The sheep on one side and the goats on the other side. And this is pretty intense, but I'll lighten it up in a minute. And, uh, and then he's going to look at the sheep and he's going to say, he's going to say, I'm so proud of you. Uh, when, I, when I was lonely, you came to visit me. And when I was afraid, you, you encouraged me. When I was cold, you, you, you gave me something warm to wear. When I was in prison, you were there. And uh, he's just going to brag on that group of people. And then one of them, we don't know who it's going to be, but one of them is going to say, we don't remember doing that for you, but we would have. And he's going to say, it was when you were doing it for the least of those. That's when you were doing it for me. And then he's going to look at the goats. This is the bad part. And he's going to say, when I was cold and I was around you, I just remained cold. And when I was hungry around you, I just stayed hungry. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. And when I was lonely, you never knocked on my door away from me. The ark made a decision many, many years ago that we were going to look around for people who were the least at the time, like those that were hurting. When they were showing the lights a while ago, how many of you are, are lonely? That hit. So I do want to let you know that this is a family, but we look around to find out who's hurting right now, and we help them out. Can I have an amen? So I want, to, I want to talk to you from the angle of that. I was thinking a lot about Billy Hornsby, who helped us start the ark. And, and uh, he, he did look at us and he said, listen, I want you to believe in people that, that other people are not believing in and give them a chance. So uh, through that scope, last year I had a chance to speak to you for a little bit. Uh, Dino and I did about meeting Billy Graham. There was a chance we were invited to see uh, Dr. Billy Graham uh, to go to his home. I mean, you know, you don't even pray about those things, right? You just show up. And when we got up there, though, there was no one to greet us, like no one to tell us we were at the right place. It was his house. And, uh, and before we knew it, we were, we were knocking on the door. There was no answer. And then we just walked into his house. Like, it felt like we were robbing Dr. Billy Graham. And we were looking around, and there he was, and we had an incredible conversation with him. But I, I got into that last year. But I, I want to mention one thing that he said, and this is, a, this is the angle that I'm going to take. He, he said, because I asked him, how did you do it? You kept influence, but you kept integrity. Like, I know a lot of people with influence, but they, somehow they lose their integrity. I know some people with a lot of integrity, but they, they don't have any influence. And how do you have both? And he said, you live with the end in mind because the end is going to come. 
He said, I'm at the end of my life. No one is asking me to speak anymore. I'm not traveling. I'm dying. I'll probably die in a little while. This is what he said. He said, but I'm still living with the end in mind. So I thought in this session, I would give you some tips on how you can live with the end in mind so we can finish strong. Can I have an amen? And I, and I want to say, I thank God for Pastor Larry Stockstill, my, my pastor who has taught me a lot of these principles, and he is here right now. But number one, here's some things to remember if you want to live with the end in mind. Number one, remember this. You are not as intuitive as you think you are. I can walk into a room and read the room pretty quick. If I'm having a staff meeting and somebody in the room uh, is not really engaged, I can pick up on it. I know who to call. I'll walk into a room and I'll see everything that's going well in a room, but I can see everything that is not going well. But I'm not as intuitive as I think I am. It's the reason why I have to have friends. If you get home and look in the mirror and see something hanging out of your nose, we saw it too. But if you don't give us permission to talk to you about it, then what good does it do for us to see it? I have blind spots. My staff saves me all the time. Somebody said, I got 20 years experience in the ministry. No, I think it's just one year repeated 20 times. You're not as intuitive as you think you are. Uh, interesting enough, a lot of pastors, men and women, uh, were strong personalities. That doesn't mean you have to have a strong personality to build a church. Uh, but I have noticed those who have it, they milk it for everything they can. And uh, we're using all of our authority. We're just moving through life too aggressively. I'm a deep personality. And, uh, and it, it, a lot of people think, oh, Rick is nice, but I'm really not very nice. And, uh, and, and so I, I've learned that my D, it was hurting people. Like I was walking a room, dropping bombs, walking out, thinking it was a great meeting. Have you ever done that? So at some point, enough people told me about it. So now I just delegate my D. I really do. I do three things now as a pastor. I cast vision, I, which means everything related to leadership and casting vision. I preach sermons, and I reward people and encourage them. Uh, I, I still see everything wrong in a room when I walk into it. Chris, I even saw something wrong in here. I'll tell you about it after. <laughs> Can't wait to tell him. <laughs> but I love that brother so much. He and Randy Bezet just encouraged me, Dino, Surratt, Joe. But I, but I got to say that you're going to have to have somebody that says, hey, you're, you're crossing the line. There's a, there, there's a lot of people that are going through ministry lonely, and it's like there's a, there's a bayou in Louisiana called By Yourself. You guys are tracking with me. And that's where a lot of you live. Look at this verse, early church, God's original intent. Book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 46. Every day, they continued. Everybody say every day. Every day. You can look that up. That literally means every day. 
they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together. You got to have red beans and rice somewhere to build a church. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Of course he did. They were in real relationships. You don't have to be lonely anymore. We did a survey. Dino was telling us about this last night. We did a survey and we know exactly why you are here. It's for relationships and resources. It's not even the speakers. You're not here to hear us, but we're here to see you and to encourage you and to connect to you. But why are we not getting it everywhere? Here's, here's, here's something that happened to me to show the picture of this. My wife and I, again, we've been married 31 years. Our first year of marriage was not so good, but a few years ago, her mom died. And when her mom died, I'm ashamed of the story, by the way. When her mom died, uh, Michelle, she, my wife, she's loaded with joy. She laughs all the time and she loves people. And it's all, all of life is about everybody else but her. And then that, that year, she was, acting, she was acting bizarre after her mom died. And I never picked up on the grief. So I just kept, kept plowing through life. It was an entire year later that we were laying down one night. And I said, Michelle, are you okay? And she said, no, I'm not. I miss my mom. I said, babe, is that what's, what's been wrong with you? Yes, when, when I used to have a great, a great day, I would call my mom and celebrate about that day. And then when I had a bad day, I would call my mom and she would pray for me. And now I don't have her to call anymore. I'm so lonely. I just realized retroactively, like in retrospect, that it was a whole year of, I'm not as intuitive as I think I am. I should have been open up to, to different people about uh, the condition of, like, would you pray for me? I'm trying to figure out Michelle's going through something. And, but I hid that. Number two, I think to finish strong and, and live with the end in mind, you would take more risk. Tommy Barnett is going to be somewhere around here uh, in the next few days, probably already here. And I heard him say at a Hillsong conference, he was piped in, uh, via satellite, and they asked him, what's the biggest regret that you have? And he said, the biggest regret that I have is that I didn't take more risk. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is, that is me. I'm always the ball and chain of what God is trying to do. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, many of you are going to heaven, but you're not enjoying the trip. Because it's just so fun to say, yes, sir. But what God is asking us to do is not cake. Can I have an amen? I find it interesting theologically that when he got to his, his, Nazareth, uh, that, that, that he could not. It doesn't say that he would not do miracles there. It says that he couldn't. They just saw him as carpenter Jesus. They didn't see him as the Messiah. As time goes, I also lower my faith in the way I see Christ. He's just become a familiar name sometimes. 
Just want to encourage you to not be afraid. One time Jesus told the disciples, he goes, come on, brothers, get in the boat, and we're going to go to the other side. Some of you have been to the Sea of Galilee. You can see all the way to the other side from one side. So he said, get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. We always forget the word. We're going to the other side. Listen to me. God started your church, and he plans on building a church, and the gates of hell can't prevail against. But you're going to forget. Why are we going to forget? Because storms happen. You're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, you're about to go through a storm. And so they're going through, and they hit this storm. They were afraid of storms. They knew a lot about storms. A lot of times where you're very anointed is also where you're very afraid. And they, they woke up Jesus. One of them literally was freaking out. In the Greek, it means they were freaking out. And then they went over to Jesus, and he was sleeping. And, and he shook Jesus. And he said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, we're going to drown. They forgot all about going to the other side. But listen to the next phrase. This is what happens if you decide to take no risk, like to live safe and comfortably. This is, this is your life. Next sentence. Jesus, don't you care? You don't care, do you? At some point, if you decide to live with no risk, like stop going for it, and you just settle, there'll come a day where you look at the Lord and like, don't you care? This happened with Martha and Mary. Jesus was over at their home. Mary's sitting at the feet, and Martha's worried and upset about all that had to be done. And then finally, she sees her sister. She walked in and threw her sister under the bus. She said, Jesus, my sister's not helping. Don't you care? Some of you remind me of Gideon, and I know I've been there, like threshing wheat in a hole in the ground. Threshing wheat is when you throw it into the wind, like you're out and alive, full of life, where the wind blows. But he was in a hole in the ground because he was afraid of enemy, enemy nation. And God, through a theophany, said, you're mighty warrior. He's like, what? I'm the weakest in the world. The weakest in my family. My family's the weakest around. Let me tell you something. You don't have to settle there. You can get up and move. He got up out of the grave, and he moved. We can get up, and we can move. Can I have an amen? Some of you are actually even praying, Lord, do something great in our church. It's your move. He's already made the moves. Number three, stare at the blessing and glance at the pain. Stare at the blessing and glance at the pain. My biggest surprise, I would have to say, as we become more and more relational with people, uh, a, lot, a lot of pastors, I'm shocked by this, men and women, children's pastors, youth pastors, volunteer people, senior pastors, how sensitive and touchy people are. How easy we get our feelings hurt. This is a hassle, because like, if you're a children's pastor... <laughs> If you're a children's pastor and on a scale, if you could scale out leadership, you, you really can't. But if you could, zero to 10, 10 being like the greatest leader that ever lived, zero being the worst leader that ever lived. If you were a five and most children's ministry, if you're sensitive and somebody comes around who is a seven or an eight and then they get in front of the kids and they kill it and then kids run over to you and say, you need to let them do it. They're way better than you. Let me tell you, just real quick, 
In an insecure world, you have a dilemma when that happens. But in a growing church with lots of vision, that's how you keep score. That's what you're looking for. Listen, you can't make five sevens and eights and nines, but who cares if the five is fine and nines, then you got a nine right there. That's how you keep your teams. So, so one time, and I find that we just keep score. We just like somebody hurts us, and we now have open wounds. Like, like if you have an open wound and somebody just touches it, barely, it's like, ah, don't, just leave that alone. And there's so many people, it's like you mentioned that you didn't even see it coming. You just brought up some, and then all of a sudden, one time Peter uh, went up to Jesus, and he tried to impress the Lord. He went up to Jesus. He said, Jesus, how many times do you have to forgive people, you know, in this ministry thing? Seven times? He was trying to impress the Lord because Jewish law said three. He doubled it to add one. I think he thought Jesus was going to go, wow, Peter, you're amazing. You get me? Seven times, Peter. Jesus goes, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. But he wasn't saying 490. Because if you know how many times you're forgiven, you haven't at all. Okay. All right, just move on. Don't stay there too long. So then, Peter didn't get it. So Jesus looked at him. He goes, okay, it's like this. And he describes your walk with God. Listen, the amount of forgiveness that you give to other people is also the amount of forgiveness that he will give to you. Raise your hand if you need more forgiveness. So he looked at Peter. He goes, hey, there was this person who owed a king, $12 million, and he couldn't pay it back. So he just fell on his knees, and it's sort of like when you got saved. I can never repay. I'm in big trouble. And the king says, I forgive you. Next verse. He walks outside, and he saw someone who owed him 17 bucks. And he ran over. He was just forgiven $12 million. You would have thought he'd high-fived everybody. And so he just walked over and he said, he said, uh, the guy owed him 17 bucks, pay me. And then he started choking him. Because Roman law said you could choke people over your money. How many want to bring that back? I think we got to keep that one. When the king who had forgiven him 12 million saw that he was choking someone for 17 bucks, let's just say it this way, it did not go well. And I just want to encourage you, live with the end in mind and be the one who forgives first. Do you know how many people used to run with you and they were doing this thing with you and somebody cut in on you and kept you from being in a relationship and obeying the truth? I challenge you, make some phone calls during this conference and get these relationships back. But let's forgive people. I didn't say trust. Trust is a different sermon. Trust can be re-earned over time. Forgiveness is given instantaneously. Let's move on. Number four, don't use all of your authority. Don't use all of your authority. My son Tanner, who is here, and uh, my my son-in-law Kyle is also here, my daughter Haley, who's pregnant with a granddaughter. What? And uh, so, but Tanner, funny story, I've told a lot of people, when we started our church, you want to have a lot of influence. Like, we want to have integrity, like, like Pastor Larry 
And so we started the church, and we we're just hoping, man, our, our name was good. And Tanner was going around, my, my, my five-year-old, he was going around telling everybody he was the pastor's son because he was getting extra cookies in, in kids' ministry, and it was working well for him. He was using all of his authority. So Michelle, she's not going to put up with that. So she goes to him. She goes, are you going around telling everybody the pastor's son? He said, yes, ma'am, it's working good. I got 10 animal crackers Sunday. And she goes, no, 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 that's not how we roll. You, you're Tanner, that's it. And uh, he goes, yes, ma'am, I don't like this, but yes, ma'am. So the next weekend, a lady, and I remember trying to have a good name, next weekend, a lady went up to him and said, aren't you the pastor's son? He said, well, I thought I was, but my mom said I'm not. Look at this verse eye to eye, if you will. Romans 12, 9. I don't know where it's posted, but Romans 12, 9. Let's read this out loud. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. One more time. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. You know what I've noticed? We hate a lot of things. But love must be sincere before you hate anything. Like pastors without love, they'll just walk in a room and tell everybody what's wrong using all of our authority at all times. If I would have raised my kids using all of my authority, they wouldn't want to be home. You have a certain amount of authority in your life, and I just want to encourage you, don't use it all. There are times where you show up in a meeting and say, man, the Lord showed me something, but don't have too much swag in that moment. Like instead of coming in, God told me this is what we're going to do. What do y'all think about it? What do they say then? Well, we kind of like God too. <laughs> some of you, and I don't like talking about this much, but some of you have been abused physically. Some of you have been abused verbally. I've never been abused physically or verbally. Some of you have been abused sexually. I've never had that happen to me one time. Some of you have. And some of you have been abused spiritually. I get that. The church I grew up in, they used all of their, until I was 10 years of age, they used all of their authority every day. My Sunday school teacher always telling me hell was hot. She hated me. She said, Don't you want to go to heaven? Not if you're going to be there. That's what I told her. <laughs> Number five. Number five. This is the one. I'm, this is the one I'm really aiming at, okay? Like everything else was just a setup for this, all right? Number five, have a clean heart. I just want to say, when I go to sleep at night, I have a clean heart. I mean, it, and it's not because I'm holy. Look, I, I tell people, this is the reason why I love Randy and my... And my friend Chris, like, we call each other with real stuff. Like, pray for me. I need, I need a friend. We never started the ark so one little group could have some friends. We love it when it happens to you as much as when it happens to us. And I just want to encourage you, like, 
We're not going to be able to run this race. So many pastors, the, the, the larger our church gets, for some of you that are growing, the larger our church gets, the, the harder it is for me to find somebody to look in my eyes and challenge me and tell me the truth. They just say, you are the man. Instead of Nathan looking at David saying, you, you're the man. I had some friends that I was recently with. I just left my dad. My, my dad, uh, I asked him one time, I said, Dad, do you want to, because he's so funny. I said, Dad, do you want to know when you're going to die? And he goes, no, son, I don't. I want to know where I'm going to die. And I said, why? He said, because I'm never going to go there. <laughs> so funny. It's just so funny. I was recently meeting with some pastors and, and we were sitting around and I'm, I'm the eternal optimist, but I, but I was worried about these guys. They're just moving through life at a high rate of speed, really hard to build enduring relationships when you're traveling in Mach 2. And then I realized, wow, I'm like, I'm not their pastor, but I, I'm their friend. I'm like a father, mentor. I don't know what they call me. But I know that when we were sitting around, I looked at them and I said, guys, I just want to tell you, there's a scripture that says that one built on the rock and one on the sand. And when the same winds came and beat up against both of those homes, the one built on the sand, it had a great crash. And as I look at you, I just hear a crash. That's all I hear. And I don't want to get that phone call with that crash. These guys opened up. We started, man, we upgraded our relationship in a huge way. I told him about a ministry that is way larger than your, your church. Uh, way back in the day in Louisiana, uh, there were many truckloads of mail just backing up to this church. And this, this pastor uh, was going through life, and, uh, and, 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 but a year before he fell, before there was a crash, there was a man speaking at staff. And he had like this prophetic edge. You're going to have to have a prophetic edge if you don't have any friends. And so this man speaking to the staff, he said, uh, he said, he said, listen, uh, there's sin in the camp here. And uh, somebody's in sin. And then he turned to that leader of the whole thing. And he goes, you know, I might be off track and I might not get this exactly right, but this is what I was told. He said, you know, I might be off track, but there's sin in the camp. And pastor, if it's you, just want to ask you to please get right with God. And I think he brushed it off. It was a year later. I was at the church service. My pastor let me go uh, when they announced that this thing had gotten really bad. He repented to everyone. I saw Bible students throwing Bibles on the ground like they just found out Jesus never lived. It was the it was horrible. It was a crash. It was also spoken in that staff meeting that if you don't get right with God by that guy with a prophetic edge, he said, if you don't get right with God, there's going to be birds flying through your buildings. For at least 15 years after that, I would, when pastors would come into Baton Rouge, I would take them over to that and I would show them birds flying through the building. 
And so I was looking at my friends and I was saying, I just don't want to see any birds, man. I don't want to hear the crash. Let's do this thing right. Let's, let's be open. You're going to have to take your heart out and let somebody see it beat. So live with the end in mind because the end is going to come. We looked at Dr. Billy Graham at the end and we said, Dr. Billy Graham, will you pray for us? And he said, yeah. He said, but will you pray for me? And I was like, you're going to have to coach me a little bit on how to pray for you. <laughs> you're Billy Graham. In fact, we asked him, how do we pray for you? And he said, he just said he was going to die. He thought he would die in the next week or so. Remember that, Dino? And he looked at us and he goes, all right, this is what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that I finish the race. Okay, there's perspective in there. He just told me he's about to die. He's Dr. Billy Graham. He's lived for the Lord. I felt the Holy Spirit in the room with him. And he's saying, pray that I finish the race. And I was thinking, if he doesn't finish, we're all going down. That's what I thought. That's what you would have thought. And so, we just bowed our heads there, and we all, Dino and I, gave it our best shot. And uh, anyway, we don't want to get the phone calls that you crashed, but we'll take that call. When you're having a great day, who do you call to celebrate with? When you're having a bad day, who do you call? Give us a shot at it. There's a lot of things the ark does, but the one thing that we really want to do, we don't want to have a position of authority. We haven't even structured it this way. We just want to try to be there for you, but we need more people helping out because there's a lot of hurting people out there and we can't do it alone. We are a family, so we need you to jump in with the vision and the love and the phone calls and the care and the giving and the giving because it's just something about a family vibe as bow our heads I thank you so much for everything you're you're doing here in this in this organization that we don't even know how it happened we would probably like to say it was by design but but it was because of you. And Lord, we don't want to mess it up. So I pray, Lord, that anyone who decides, I want to jump into the ark. I don't even totally get it, Lord. I pray that they will jump in and become a family. And, and they, will, they will grow. And they'll be accurate in their relationship with you and their relationship with one another. And the way they lead their church, let it be authentic. We want to run this race to finish the race, to hit the prize. We want to live with the end in mind because the end is going to come. In Jesus' name, amen.